today I set aside the day to, we finished the reading of Ezekiel this week, which meant we had gone through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel, 170 chapters. And the three prophets that prophesied to Israel's fall, trying to bring them out of a spiral of destruction, and the message that they brought that I think has the this hallmark of the eternal love of God for all people, for his church, for sure, and for America. And I did, during the book of Jeremiah, 10 weeks, because we'd read about six, seven chapters a day, and I think there's 48 chapters in Jeremiah. And I did a blog called Jeremiah in America, and it's, we put it back online, and we made about 50 copies, which I'm going to read a lot from this or reference it because... As you could imagine, 170 chapters, uh, there's more than uh, we could ever get, get through or should get through. Uh, let me just tell you a couple of things. Uh, it was the fall of 2019, and well, first off, Father, before we go any further, may you be the one now that, uh, Holy Spirit, you're the only one that knows what Jesus wants us to hear, and I have been given the assignment never to speak on your own volition, but only what you hear Jesus say. Jesus, you're the one who said that everything of the Father is yours, so therefore you would send the Holy Spirit to announce to us the things that are ours. So we now, I defer to this wonderful Holy Spirit and to the wonderful Word of God, and I pray that you would take this time and bring each of us into the posture of heart that you're looking for. I thank you for Larry and Melanie and their uh, calling. In fact, they spoke the blessing of humility, which I do believe is the one we're longing for more than anything at this present hour. So grant that to us each and bring about the words you once said in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you don't have to be worried because I've made a, 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 a commitment with the Father to be done by 1140 for two reasons. One, I don't want to ever get engaged trying to convince people something they're not getting. So therefore, that last 20 minutes could be too much for anybody. But secondly, we've been finding a phenomenon of worship starting after the Word of God. And because the Word of God is preached, our hearts are softened, there is a desire and a willingness to worship. So I want to close always 20 till 12 and allow worship to begin again. But everyone's free to leave because we have to keep our schedules. So... But know that that's kind of what we're doing. It's, it's, it first started just because of Diana and the team just kept moving. And a couple of Sundays went a couple hours beyond what the close of the service. And then it, we've just kind of continued to let that lead take place because the body's worshiping as we're feeling it in the services prior to the word. So having said that, let me now uh, give a bit of background and a bit of reference then I want to read uh, a few of the things primarily out of uh, Jeremiah, but I'll probably reference Ezekiel. And then I want to bring us to what I believe is the eternal promise of God for us as his, those called by his name, to which we could see the greatest change in the earth today and all that we're longing for. So backing up, in the fall of 2019, I felt the nudge to read the end of Jeremiah. And we were in Washington, D.C. We were babysitting, visiting our daughter and family. And the elections had not yet taken place, but there was a swirling in the air for sure. And so I read the last 27 chapters in just one day or two days. As I did, I was dumbfounded. As I observed the Lord send Jeremiah repeatedly, hoping for a different response from Judah and Israel. Could this be America, his church? I have since read Jeremiah several times, and by now it's been many, many more times. And now our Bible reading schedule is at Jeremiah. My wife, Cammie, has urged me to share my observations with you. So, again, you can pick these up in the back if, they're, if it, something stirs, or you can go online. They're, they're right there. Just go to the Jeremiah and America blog. takes you to the first one. Scroll all the way down, and you can get all, of, all ten of them. Uh, so... Let me give some background, because if you're like me, we're, 
we kind of live from, you know, week to week, maybe month to month, you know, year to year. And yet God moves over decades and centuries. And so just as a reference point, let me just give, I, I did the math for my, for my sake. It says, okay, here we go. Time and perspective. Isaiah prophesied during the kings Uzziah, Ahaz, and Hezekiah approximately 50 years. Jeremiah prophesied during the kings Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah for approximately 41 years. Between Isaiah and Jeremiah, there are three, two kings, King Manasseh, who is the son of Hezekiah, the worst king ever, to which many of the judgments that came upon Judah was because of the sins and his turning the nation into idolatry, and his son Ammon, who reigned for two years. So that's a 37-year break uh, between Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, his act, actually even a little further, because Jeremiah begins on the, about the 11th year of, of uh, Josiah. So there's a big, a, a bit of time between. Ezekiel prophesied from Babylon, and we, that he had been taken in the exile that had taken place during uh, King Jehoiachin, and he prophesied for 25 years. He and uh, Jeremiah overlap for six years. So as Jeremiah is in Jerusalem pleading and pleading and pleading, and you must know this about God, what he says when it has to do with judging is not what he wants to do, but he wants hearts to repent and humility to be given so he doesn't have to. And he can always change anything. But the story of Jeremiah is a people that continue to go against and unwilling and actually believe they were righteous. And therefore, there was nothing to fear and, and got more and more stubborn in their heart. So one more thing. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah... Uh, prophesied for f overlap for six years. And Jer Ezekiel's in Babylon. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. Jer Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they were contemporaries. So Isaiah is 50 years. Then there's no prophecy for 37 years recorded. Then Jeremiah for 41 years. Then Ezekiel for 20 years after the fall. Uh, that total span of time is 150 years. So a lot of times I believe the reason we don't fear God or bring our lives back under his jurisdiction or, or even consider he is the cause of the problem and for sure the solution of the problem is because he moves so slowly and, and things go up and down because Josiah was an awesome king. Hezekiah was an awesome king. Hezekiah was told by Isaiah when he got sick that he was going to die and to put his house in order. He turned his face to the wall and wept and cried out to the father and said, Father, please, you know I've served you. Let me not die now. And God gave him 15 more years. But unfortunately, those 15 years brought ruin to Israel, Judah. A, first thing upon his recovery, there was a small little envoy delegation from a little teeny nation that nobody heard about or knew anything about called Babylon. And he was so thrilled about this new place he'd been given life to that he really forgot the humility he ought to walk in. And he showed these delegation of Babylonians the entire treasury of his house and all the kings before him. Isaiah asked, did, uh, what did you, who were these people and what did you show them? He said, they're from Babylon, a little nation, and I showed them all the treasures. I showed them everything. And Isaiah then prophesied. He said, because of this, that nation will return and destroy this nation, take all the treasures from the nation, take your children and make them eunuchs, and have them serve the king in Babylon. Now, I, Hezekiah 
had been a skilled intercessor. He had many times faced obstacles that would have been his downfall, like when the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, had surrounded the, the, the Jerusalem and, and just was a matter of time till he destroyed him. But he would go and seek the Lord. He would cry out. He would say, God, no, don't let this, what is coming, happen. And God would hear his prayer. But in this case, Hezekiah says amongst his people, that's a good word from God. Because at least we will have peace and truth in our generation. He stopped prayer. He stopped interceding, asking God to do what only God can do. Now, I may get in trouble today, but I hope it's before the Lord that you hear me say, the only solution is God. And it's, and it's not us doing what God wants us to do. It's returning to God, each of us, as God would show us, for God to change the course that we're set in. We are being judged. Judgment is upon the land. But it doesn't have to. It can divert. It can divert. It really can. The next problem that Hezekiah brought was his son that he seared, sired, Manasseh, who became the greatest idolater, witchcraft, rebellion, sorcery, burn his children. And he was born he, during Hezekiah's last you know, couple, he was 12 years old when Hezekiah died. So in the extra 15 years, he really messed up. Unfortunately, then Manasseh leads this Israel into some real problems, and now his son is, his, is taken out, and his grandson, or Hezekiah's great-grandson, is Josiah. Josiah, you see, the reason things can shift anytime God finds the right heart response in his people he will change the course of it or delay it or, in many cases, even go and turn around and bring a blessing. When we pray this Wednesday from 6 on, we're going to pray into Joel, Hosea, Habakkuk to posture our hearts in repentance and, and humility. But, and if you'd like to help us, because I, I believe we, have, we, we chased the wrong rabbit in the last 10 years, in the last 50 years, probably. But in any case, that's ahead of myself. Josiah is a good king, and he starts at the age of eight. In his 18th year, he's now what, 30, 26, 36? He sends the priest and the kings or priests and the scribes and the recorders into the temple to restore it because they had put idols in the temple. They had just totally uh, immersed Israel in, in uh, idolatry. And so this is in Second uh, Chronicles 34 and verse 14. I want to read this portion. Josiah, because I feel like Josiah. Uh, I'm being impacted because that was 2019. I read Jeremiah and then in 2021, we begin reading the Bible together. First, the Psalms, then the New Testament. Now this year, we're going through the entire Bible. May I strongly encourage you, if you've never, to read the New Testament every day, to read the ones we're reading, unless you have a better plan. But to be at two chapters a day is not much because we can't know truth without the Bible. So here, catch this little episode and see if this might and I don't mean it just for America. I believe this is the answer for any of us in any situation. God's pur pur purpose always is to lead us by Holy Spirit and in the Word of God and to have a people that devote themselves to giving Him time every day. When those things begin to ebb and they begin to dissipate or flow out, then that, the only thing left for Him to do is allow circumstances to get our attention. And that's when, if circumstances, we can sometimes fight against the circumstances when all of the New Testament teaches us, first thing is submit to God, then resist the devil. Without the submission, there is no resistance, which is, again, ahead of myself. 
So in Jeremiah, Second uh, Chronicles 34, verse 14, something happens. And I just want to read this. Uh, can you put it up on the screen, please? Now, when they had brought out the money that we were using to purchase, to rebuild the house, Hilkiah, the high priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. There's times generations can lose. Even the temple had lost the law of God as being a cornerstone of their observation. So Hilkiah uh, answered and said to Shaphan, this is verse 15, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word saying, all that was committed to the servants they are doing cons considering concerning the temple's renewal. And they have gathered the money and they found in the house of the Lord and they've delivered into the workmen overseers. Verse 18. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah and Achim, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So chapter verse 22, So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhat, the son of Harasha, the keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. <clears throat> but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. And so they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to take a stand. And so the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. When I began reading Jeremiah four years ago, and I began to see the parallels of the American church and the, and the Israeli center of worship, the temple. I saw it in me, and it began to affect me deeply and continues to affect me deeply. 
And I found it, it was, uh, uh, so in Jer Jeremiah chapter 2, if you could put Jeremiah chapter 2, he's an un unlikely prophet. He's a priest. He's been called as a young man. And I'm just going to now quote a bunch of little portions of the chapter for about five minutes, and I want to take us to a, a, the, end, the, eternal per, the eternal plan of God for helping us when we get lost, how to return to the Lord. Because we must return to the Lord. And in ways we do not even realize that we've drifted from him. And that's, again, why the word of God is the only way you can find out how far you've gone. When I started reading through the Bible, just reading through it, I became, uh, I, I became convicted of so many things that I wouldn't have seen had I not been reading through the Bible. So uh, chapter, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1, please. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Now, this is Jeremiah's first introduction to Jerusalem to begin to call them to repentance or to cry out. Jeremiah is the mediator between God and Israel. Israel is the bride. Judah, Jerusalem is the bride of the Lord. And Jerusalem is... Uh, God is longing to restore her. And she's wandered into idolatry. To God, idolatry is adultery. As adultery in marriage, idolatry is adultery to God. So he says, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, first fruits of his increase, and all that devoured him will offend and disaster come upon them. He was there in preserving, protecting. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me and have followed idols and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, where is the Lord? who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and, on, and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where there was no one dwelt and brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit. See, the question that God first asked us to always ask, where are you? If, he's not, if the blessing is not demonstrated, it's because he's got to get our attention for something that we've shifted, drifted, and wandered away. But no one asked the question. They never thought God had gone anywhere. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers uh, also transgressed against me. And the prophets, they prophesied by Baal. Nobody was even cognitive of how far they had drifted. They walked after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. And against your children's children, I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently. See if this thing has ever happened. That has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. And I'm going to close with this part. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out for themselves cisterns. That was what you'd keep water in. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the, the, they just exchange the glory of God for another, another image, another means, another help. Uh, from on this point on, in fact, if you wanted to just get a quick first grasp of Jeremiah, chapters 2 through chapter 6 is a very tender heart of God calling back a people. He says, uh, return backsliding Israel, says the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful. But the conditions only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. You have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. You've not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. I he goes on and he says, Ah, oh, Lord God, Jeremiah is in a conflict because he's got, if I was to title America and Jeremiah, I would now call it the War of the Prophets. 
I write that in the last of the block because you have a whole other group of prophets that are prophesying everything's going to go great, everything's going to be wonderful, peace is coming. They're prophesying that in two years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to return the treasures of the temple and the whole place is going to return. And Jeremiah is having to say, 70 years, sorry, not till 70 years, then I'll start doing the process of redemption that I want to bring. So it's, you can imagine the conflict. So Jeremiah says, ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying you will have peace, whereas the sword reaches to its heart. But God says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. And how long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? He goes on to tell Jeremiah in chapter 5, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? In chapter 7, the Lord says, amend your ways. But they said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As though the temple of the Lord had some power to save them. They had all the form of godliness, but they denied the one who had the power. And so they were, they were intoxicated to think that they had some idea like, America's a covenant nation. America's a covenant nation. Well, Israel's a covenant nation. The covenant nations get judged more, more severely. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So it was an interesting time. God asked, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? A lot of the quotes of Jesus are found in Jeremiah. I will do the same to you as I did to Shiloh. He says, you've got to remember, I had a, my name in another place for 400 years. But look what I did to Shiloh because of their forsaking me. Uh, so God is speaking first to his own people at the temple, the temple goers, as he begins to first try to speak to us, the church goers. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. He goes on and he says of chapter 11, for according to the number of your cities where, uh, where your gods, O Judah, and according to the number of streets o, of Jerusalem, you have set altars to burn incense to that shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Jeremiah is in a greater and greater conflict, and you will note that he is, he, is not, he is not having success. And he will be persecuted, he will be thrown in prison, he will be beaten, he'll be put in stocks. Uh, and he starts to ask God for help. He says in chapter 12, uh, uh, God has to say to him, he said, this is, it's like a, a Habakkuk moment. You know, why, we're, we're not... How can you let the wicked continue to advance and not deal with them? Because, and he says to Jeremiah, if you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, then how will you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace you, if you trusted, you wearied you, then how will you the flood plan of Jordan? So this predicament is growing. Hear and give ear, Jeremiah 13. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. The humility is the key, the, the softened heart. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Hardened hearts always right, make ourselves feel like we're nothing wrong with us, so therefore I'm not going to listen to anything concerning me. And yet Jesus taught a prayer, or taught a parable about the Pharisee who went to pray and the tax collector went to pray. And he taught the parable for one purpose, for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, and despised others. How can we despise? In any case, he goes on and he says, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Moses and Samuel are the greatest intercessors in the history of Israel. Moses in the wilderness, while well, he walked him, kept him out of being destroyed at least three times. And Samuel, as they transition from the judges to what we just are reading now, into a king. And he would hold his place. Uh, the heart is deceitful, he had to tell Jeremiah in 17. Above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to every man according to the ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Take heed to yourselves. 
and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring into its gates of Jerusalem. Now, the reason this started to grip me so much is that I believe God says, if you put me back and observe my, my ways and live before me in the fear of me, and do not slander and do not speak evil, do not cheat and do not steal, and, and seek me for my help and, and look and acknowledge that only I can change the course of the land. Not a new election, not another president, not a bunch of laws. Only God can say, you are seeking my help, now I will help. But without the help of God, there is no help. So he says to them, if you'll just but observe the Sabbath. This is Jeremiah 7. He said, just, just on the Sabbath, don't buy and sell. Just, just a one little dinky thing. It'd be like saying to America, go back to church. Just observe me. I didn't create a church to feed you, to, to appease you, to support you. I came to bring a people together to mature you, to be like my son, and to come and calibrate yourself and not forsake your assembling. And that's us. We're here. We're not, I'm not talking. But that would be what he was saying to the whole land. Listen to the promise. Then shall enter the gate of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. You've got to, to grasp in the depth of a mature church is that God has a course that we're set on and a course he'd like to change us back into. And he can change the course anytime he's satisfied. But if we will rebel against him and not heed his word, not pray, not spend, give him what is his, he will allow the circumstances to ex continue to expand, and we'll think it's the devil doing it when it was really our failure to return to the Lord. And that, was the that was a constant return, return, return. He goes to the potter's house. He, he sees the, God says, I can, make, I, I, I can make a vessel the way I want it. Return it, everyone from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. Israel's response, by this time you see, and you can feel it in the atmosphere. It's not just a secular America. It's, it's believing America. But that's what they said in that very response. The next verse, Jeremiah 18, 12, that's hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans. And we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Oh. And then Jeremiah has to remind the Lord, remember, I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath for them. The true core call of any intercessor, any prophet, is to reveal the heart of men and then to cry out to God to give mercy to the condition of man. And so he says, this is what a king would do. Execute judgment in the morning. Deliver him who's plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Thus says the Lord, chapter 23, he says, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Now, I'm not speaking about anybody. I stopped listening to prophets online four years ago. When I started to be sobered, to the Word of God, I realized I drifted too far from the Word of God, and I didn't need to, to go and hear from others what I had to find God speak to me in His Word. So I'm not having anybody or anything. I don't listen. But He said, don't listen to them. They make you worthless. They speak visions of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my, and had caused my people to hear my word, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. I have to ask the Lord continually, Lord, 
I need you to reveal to me what is not pleasing and, dis- and destructive in my own life. I have to come back to the provision of Jesus Christ, and I can't assume that my way is the right way. And he says, don't listen to your prophets. They prophesy to you saying, behold, the vessel of the Lord's house will now shortly bring back to Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. There's a time when Jeremiah has to wear a wooden yoke because he's being told to tell Jerusalem, submit to the king of Babylon. Submit to the king, and it will go well with you. There are times the church will be humbled in circumstances and in many ways to return to the Lord. But out of Babylon there were prophets, and in Jerusalem there were prophets, and that is not necessary. Um, Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I probably won't be able to find it right now. He is met by a prophet who says he takes Jeremiah's yoke and he breaks it. And then he prophesies, thus says the Lord, in two years, all of the, all of the treasure from Jeru- uh, Babylon will be returned and the temple will be rebuilt. And Jeremiah says, boy, I, I wish it would be according to your word then. And um, instead... He says, but because you've said those things, the the yoke is turned from wood to iron. And he's instructed by the Lord to send to the uh, exiles in Babylon a letter that says there's 70 years. You're not coming home to 70 years. And the one false prophet dies within the year. So this struggle to try to to, uh, bring the heart of God's people back when they were drifting so far. Um, Let me see. I'm going to move on. I have so much more, but I have to get to the, 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 the closing point. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, and I'll show you the answer. Then I'll show you, the, I'll show you God's uh, spectrum of, of promise, and then we'll pray. And then we will move toward uh, how the Lord leads. What I'm trying to say is that the problem America has is with God. Not with any political system or any debauchery and degradation of man. That is the natural course of Romans 12, of Romans chapter 1. You you reject God, you go into stupidity, into rebellion, and we're in it. And we're not returning. We're, 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 and that's how Jeremiah's time, they had princes, they had prophets, and they had priests. And they're all saying, we don't have to do anything about ourselves. What we need to do is accept this good word that this is going to be removed and that's going to be removed and this is going to be done versus taking it to go uh, a heart search. So in Second Chronicles 6, this is the temple was dedicated. 400 years later, it was destroyed. When it was dedicated and became a central place for Israel to have a, a, a recovery mat mechanism, which today the temple is in heaven and Jesus Christ is the high priest. And we must return to him. If we do not return to him, we will be uh, suffering continued judgment and alienation from power and authority. And if you say, well, no, you got to do this, you got to do that, maybe so. I'm not against what all person does. But I do know that we were given instructions back in Second Chronicles chapter 6. Solomon dedicates the temple. Uh, he says that God fulfilled the promise he had made to his father. And he then begins to pray prayer, prayer, verse 18. But will God indeed dwell uh, with men on the earth. Behold, heaven is, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain uh, you, how much less this temple which I've built. Yet, I regard, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. That your eyes may be open to the temple night and day toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear prayers which your servants make and may hear the supplication of your servant. And then he says, verse 25, 
uh, verse 24. And, or if your people are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you and return and confess that your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and bring them back to the land which you gave them. If, uh, when the heavens, verse 26, are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. See, the global change is God. He will do anything to get our attention. He will change governments. He will change climates. He will change uh, famines. There's no rain. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive. They're your sin. Your people, Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain in your land. When there is famine in the land, verse 28, this is the one that three, two years, three years ago just started to undo me. I practice it as much as I can, and I'm very ineffective in it. But when there's famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when the enemies besiege them in the land, in their cities, wherever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel. Now, here is the key, what we're trying to bring our hearts to have that moment. When each one knows his own burden, the word burden or weight is the word for leprosy or plague. When I know my plague, I can point out everybody else's plague. You know, the finding the the splinters instead of the, instead of the log is an easy job for any of us. But I've got to know my plague. I don't, I can't, and, and, and when I know my own grief, you see, there, there's an effect of wandering from the Lord. There's an effect that happens from a prayerless people. There's an effect that takes place by not reading the Scripture and submitting to truth. It is that we're left to ourselves, and it affects us. And so when we know where we are, it is my selfishness. It is my wicked tongue. It is my hatred. What, and then he spread out his hands to, to the temple. This whole prayer is prayed with Solomon kneeling on a box with his hands up, the king of Israel. And he's saying, okay, when you know where you are and you lift up your hands to this temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive. See, the first, we need forgiveness. We have to be forgiven. And we will not be forgiven. Though we are forgiven in Christ, we are not in real-time forgiveness until we deal with the real-time problem, our own willfulness, our own dis- dis- Works of hands are idols. Ideals can be idols. Opinions can be idols. So he says, and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, your, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men, that they may fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to their fathers. Now, chapter 7, verse 13, and we'll close. Um, Verse 12. The fire falls. The Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated. The temple is in full function. Everybody goes home fully committed to the Lord. And God shows up to Solomon in another dream. And the Lord appeared to Solomon that night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain. Now, I don't know about what God you serve, but God can shut up the heaven and bring no rain. Or I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, four things must be done in conjunction and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, how do I apply that? I, let me just give you a quick imagery. To humble yourself means to submit to the higher authority, to bow the knee, literally. So it's a posture. It's, it's accepting the fact that your life is where it is because that's where it is. And it's not going to change unless God grants it a new reprieve. 
and you want his help. So the first thing a man has to do is humble himself. We need to admit, I can never have a different outcome unless you give me a new outcome. I need it from you, not from me. I cannot rethink the package. I need you to help me. I humble myself. And pray. The word prayer is what means to judge ourselves. Literally. It's like when communion, to, to assess what's going on. Why am I in this funk? Why am I in this anger? Why am I yelling at the TV? Why don't I, you know, deal with me? Judge me. If I don't judge me, God is not interested in you tell, you know, did you? How much Christendom is now loaded with people pro- telling evil things about mankind and pointing fingers at everyone else and no one's crying out and saying, it's me. It's me. I'm the, I am. And you know what? True historical revival, when those come, God gives them. They don't come by man. But when they come, the first thing is massive repentance among the saved. Among the saved. You'll say, oh, God, I can't believe I'd wandered so far from you. I've had, I've had anger. I've been jealous. I've been envious of my neighbor. Just stuff that has to cut out. So he says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves. Keep verse 14 up, please. Uh, and pray, assess, where am I? How did I get here? What's going on? Why don't I read my Bible? Just take an honest appraisal. You can't find out where you are unless you stop and see. And then he says, and seek my face. Seek my face. No, I, I, I'm busy over here. No, no, seek my face. If you will seek my face, you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. And this, this was the condition. This is what Jeremiah was trying to get Israel into. This is what the, the God is trying to bring his church back to, is to seek his face. Oh, I already know all that, man. I got all the revelation I need. No, you don't. You don't have anything. Because revelation isn't something we categorize and keep, and it's ours for tomorrow. It's today, if you hear his voice. Today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And then they turn from our wicked ways. And again, wicked ways are selfish. They're self-filled ways. Apart from God, departing from God, creating our own systems of deliverance and power ways instead of just going, God, if anything, show me anything. I want to follow you in everything. I, I just, I humble myself. I pray. I seek your face. And if you convict me, I'm going to be the first to agree with you. If you say I'm selfish, I'm going to say I'm selfish. If you say that I am lazy, then I'm going to admit I'm lazy. But I can't change me. That's why I'm coming to you to change me. But I'm going to start with honesty and my heart approaching you. But I've got to find you because you're the only solution. Jesus Christ is the only answer. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need him in my home. I need him in my family. I need him in my city. I need him. Jesus, come see me. Find me. And then we turn, we turn. Then he says three things will happen. I'll hear. I'll hear. I'll hear. I'll hear. If I don't hear, then forget. Nothing else happens. God ignores the prayers of many people because they don't meet the condition of heart that he requires for it to be heard. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins you imagine how much of sin America needs to be forgiven? And it's the, but it's, I don't see it as those people. I see it as me, we. And then he says, I'll heal the land. I'll heal the land. I'll heal the land. Now, we don't know. We don't know how far we've gone. We don't know how, how intent our hearts are. We don't know how willing we are to respond in this manner. But I believe if we are, we have been given the promise that we will be forgiven and healed. And I believe that's for households because he said if any man knows or the whole nation knows, it starts with one heart at a time. So let's pray. Can I have the worship team up, please? Lord, I pray that um, your word could take again preeminence in our lives and your spirit could again lead us into the truth of your word and that we could 
come to this to seek your to 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 pray and seek your face lord uh, we are in a heap of trouble and we are asking you you're the only one that can save us but we're returning to you lord i pray for today just a simple prayer would you grant us individually in this congregation begin with us what you mean for us to humble ourselves what does that look like as a believer how do i humble myself what does that look like to you and that i would be shown what is it how do i appraise myself judge myself in my prayer how do i look upon my own place rather than others and then father would you show me how to seek your face Lord, that is to be more precious than gold or silver, is to seek your face. And God, I ask you to show us each individually and corporately, what does it mean to seek your face? And then lastly, would you show, as you said in Psalm 139, would you trust, try me and test me and see my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the path of everlasting life. We start here. Help us, Father. Holy Spirit, help us. Jesus, you're the provision. You're the intercessor. Help us. Help us, Lord. Please, as we worship, just... Father, I thank you. a lot of information to process and so much but would you be gracious to us as we leave to carry these words and search them out ourselves become students of the living word followers after Jesus Christ may you be gracious may you be kind may you forgive our sins may you right our wrongs Restore our lives, return us. May we turn to you and be healed. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.